We are two unique female professionals and friends that have come together to have meaningful conversations and a little fun along the way. Welcome to the Arable Podcast, where curious minds grow. I'm your host, Jenna Mountain, and I'm your other host, Kimberly Galindo. Hey, Arable friends, we are here today um, as a part of our series with the fantastic Genesis PT and Wellness Group, um, and today we have Lisa Wisnat joining us. Um, I'm going to Ooh. read off her incredibly impressive bio, um, and then we're going to jump in and get to chat with her, y'all. I'm so excited. Um Lisa is a pelvic health OT, and she is really passionate about treating those uh, suffering with pelvic pain and loves serving the pregnant and postpartum population. Uh, She received her Bachelor of Science in Kinesiology with a minor in Psychology from Texas A&M University. I continued her education to achieve her Master's of Science in Occupational Therapy from the University of Texas Medical Branch in Galveston, which I have an affection for because that is I was my about to say, that's alma got a, mater. Yes, so Galveston, that's so fun. Um, she's completed post-professional training in pelvic health therapy, focusing on pregnancy, postpartum, and chronic pelvic pain. Her background, um, practicing in multiple OT environments, um, and using lots of innovative approaches and using her extensive knowledge and self-care methods and lots of mental health practices. You're going to hear lots in our series about breath and all these things that we talk to y'all about. So I love the crossover there. Um, she's really passionate about pelvic health um, and became really passionate after the birth of her daughter and her own diagnosis with endometriosis. Um, so she's really able to walk empathetically with her patients, which is so, so uh, awesome. Uh, Lisa yeah. was born and raised in Houston. She met her husband, Justin, at college, and they were married after graduation. Um, they lived in Oklahoma City to start their careers and have recently moved uh, to Frisco. And uh, Lisa and her husband have one daughter, Lila, and a fam- their family I enjoys. I name. I know. Good job on the names. They like to hike and do sports and spend time together. Lisa, welcome to the Arable Podcast. Welcome. We're so excited. <laughs> we are so thrilled to have you. It's just such a special treat for us. Um, and then just getting to do this series with the whole Genesis team, I think we are really going to give a gift to our listeners and um, our community because there is so much about what we do and what you guys do that is so like, it is just not, um, very accessible to a lot of people. And so we want to kind of demystify it, if you will, and help people get to know all the grand things that you do. So, um, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to jump in. Um, is there anything else outside of the bio that we just shared that you would like to share about yourself and introduce yourself to our audience? Um, well, I just kind of want to say, you know, I forgot that I minored in psychology. So I was just thinking like, oh, that's perfect because OT, our roots are in mental health. So I love that we get to talk and share that with you. I think that's a cool, cool piece, cool connection there. But no, I think that bio covers it very well. (laughs) Awesome. 
Well, tell us a little bit. I think what's going to be neat about this series is all of you are so gifted. We are very, we, we have very strong bias um, and have had the joy of working with you guys collaboratively to serve people uh, professionally. Um, but I'm really excited about our listeners getting to hear how each of you find words for what you do. So I'm going to start with what might be a simple question for us, but I want our audience and our listeners to know, like, what is pelvic floor therapy in your own words? Awesome question. Um, so basically anyone with a pelvis can benefit from it. I mean, our pelvic floor is so connected to every piece of our body um, and it moves with our breath and anything from like when we're walking or running or exercising is going to impact the pelvic floor. Um, so this therapy is actually super important for everyone to know mm. and understand because it's so not well understood. Um, so many people don't even know what a pelvic floor is and if they even have one, they don't understand. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Especially those of the male variety, yeah. they tend to think they don't have one. Exactly. They don't think they have one. I think my husband's <laughs> one of them. Um, yeah. And so... It's just to get a general basis under education of what those muscles do, where they are and how they function, because they're impacted by so much. But I mean, if you think about how many times we go to the bathroom or we have intercourse with our partner, I mean, those yeah. are very much daily activities that we do. And if there's yeah. dysfunction there, I mean, it can really impact your life. So I really just want people to know more about it and understand that like you have one that exists like needs to most likely needs to be addressed no matter what. <laughs> yeah. I, I do not think people realize how much or how important those muscles are and how many activities and functions that they impact and touch. I, 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 in fact, even for the female variety who are pretty in tune and in touch with the fact that they have, you know, a pelvic floor, um, you know, one of the things that I see, and it, it might be because, Kimberly and I specialize in sex is they're like, Oh, those are like the muscles that impact sex. I'm like, no, no, no. I mean, yes, but they also impact all these other things. And, um, and, and we, we kind of miss that. And so they're, they're missing where there's a connection there oftentimes. Yeah, for sure. And a lot of times until something's wrong, no one yeah. knows, thinks about it or knows to address it or how to engage it or relax it or any of those things. So that's a great point. Curious for you, Lisa, what drew you to pelvic floor therapy? So it's this so significantly important field, but I'm curious your journey and what drew you to your work. Yeah. So it's kind of a long answer. Just, just, Hey, I'll take it. Let's go. Um, so, um, really it started kind of after I had my daughter, um, she had a lot of medical issues. So we had a, a rough first year. Um, I'm pretty sure I had postpartum anxiety issues, just kind of went undiagnosed. Um, mm. and kind of during that time, I, I, I just knew I wasn't myself, but I didn't have a, a label for it or anything like that. And I was like, okay, I'm an OT. I have a psych background. Like there's, there's gotta be something out there for me that can help me. Um, and I was also like, can OTs even work in this field? Like maternal mental health mm. was kind of what drew me there actually, um, and that's when I found like the postpartum support international and those types of groups that were just like awesome. And I realized that, Hey, there's a small group of OTs that are actually interested in this and working with women, like not just from the mental health aspect. Some with OTs at the time were yeah. starting to dive into pelvic floor therapy and things like that, which was primarily or has been primarily PT. 
Um, so I just started diving into that and I was like, okay, this is really cool. Like, I don't think mom should have to do this, like deal with this. Mm-hmm, um, yeah. it, it's a big population that we get neglected and it's kind of a, it can be a thanks, thankless job. And so like, they need that support too. Um, so I thought the mental health aspect of it was super interesting. And then that's what kind of, yeah, kind of wiggled into pelvic floor therapy. And I had, I'd personally been through pelvic floor therapy, um, myself, but it was not a super great and enjoyable experience. So I was just like, oh, I would never touch that. So I had no clue I would end up here. (laughs) I love this part of your story. I'm so fascinated. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Um, and so anyway, the more I kind of looked into it, I was like, okay, I want to help moms. Like, this is what I do. I, I worked in the hospital for years and inpatient rehab and I loved it. But like this, this seemed to be like my true passion, mm-hmm. what I wanted to do. And I was like, okay, what's the, what, what can I do to get in this? And I looked more into fel- pelvic floor. And as I kind of learned about it, I was like, okay, this is cool. Like, I, I think this is something I could do. And so one, there's a couple fabulous OTs who have really kind of, been the pioneers into helping OT be more like specialized into pelvic floor therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of started with some of their classes and I just kind of doped myself into it. My continuing ed classes, I took a lot of pelvic floor stuff. I wanted to learn all about it. Um, and at the time we were living in Oklahoma um, and I was just, it was just harder, not really as many public floor therapists up there or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and my husband got this awesome job and we were moving back to Texas. We're from Texas originally. And I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to try to dive in. I'm going to put some feelers out. Let's see if I can start practicing. Um, and yeah, I reached out to my awesome boss, Becky, and she was like, oh, I didn't know OTs could do this. Let's talk. Yeah. <laughs> and it kind of went from there. And like I said, I, I totally skipped over the part of like my endometriosis part and everything mm-hmm. with that. But like, really, it was kind of that mental health aspect that slowly led me to the yeah. endometriosis, which I thought y'all would be super interested in. Yes. <laughs> well, you 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 touched on this in your own story um you know and and i do think a lot of different types of helping and healing practices do birth out of some version of our story um so i'm not at all surprised you were talking about your postpartum experience and i'd like to hook back there with a little bit of a follow-up question um and we can kind of volley this back and forth between us, but I really don't think most women and definitely not their partners understand postpartum recovery at all. We have a massive gap in education and it, and it really hurts probably everybody with that systemic ripple effect, you know, to contextually see it, but women who think they are supposed to recover, return, um, bounce back. You could use a lot of words way faster than the body. In fact, um, actually restabilizes and, and regains whatever it's going to regain. I mean, women are shocked when we tell them, Hey, probably on average, it's about 12 months. We're talking about a year could be longer depending on your choice to breastfeed because that also keeps your body in a state. There's nothing wrong with it, but it keeps your body in a state that shifts it hormonally. And so 
I mean, people are shocked. And so I, I would love for you to share anything about that dynamic um, as someone who loves working with postpartum recovery and all of that, because I think it's a, it's a massive gap in our, in our community. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. A big piece of that. And this is like every woman who's had a baby, I think has experienced this as you have your kid and then it's like, okay, we'll see you in six weeks. And you're like, what? <laughs> like, I do <laughs> no. not feel okay. Um, and maybe first someone- of all, you're going to let me take this tiny human home and then you're not going to see me for six weeks. Like, I don't understand what's happening. Right. <laughs> exactly. Right. And you know, um, I know ACOG has even come out and said like, Hey, we need to be seeing postpartum moms as early as three weeks. And I'm like, yes, there we mm-hmm. go. Like, this is good. You know, I think it's going to take some time to get that into practice, but, um, and, you know, especially with a lot of my patients, I know they've been a lot better about like OBs and even pediatricians are like doing a lot more screens for postpartum yeah. mental health disorders and things like that, which I love. I think that's a great step. A lot of my moms had say, oh, yeah, I've done this a couple times already. So I'm glad that at least mm-hmm. that's been done to kind of create that awareness for them. But um, for me personally, yeah, I mean, like so many moms feel it's just like, what, like, I, like it just didn't feel right and I'm kind of a higher anxiety person anyway so of course hormonally that just kind of exacerbated yep. everything um but yeah kind of what I touched on earlier you get to that point where it's like okay I don't feel like me something's wrong and I didn't mm-hmm. I, you know it might have been more embarrassment at the time to want to reach out for help or that denial piece like I'm just sleep deprived I'm hormonal I'm tired and um it took me a while to get to that point where I was just like, okay, I need help. Like my anxiety kind of, um, was just kind of taking over my life and it wasn't, it was so disabling. Um, you know, I know postpartum depression gets a lot of, um, is it's more well known, but that anxiety piece can be just as debilitating. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. What were you gonna say? I was going to say, I think anxiety sneaks under the radar. Postpartum anxiety does. Um, so I'm in agreement with you. If you're willing to share, um, because I think this is a part of it. What cued you off that this was not like the sleep, the sleep deprivation and newness mm-hmm. and like what we would think is reasonable stress, um, of being a new mom, because so many moms, they do, they just start minimizing their symptoms. So if you're willing to tell that party story, like what was it that caught your attention? There was like, this is not, this is, this is something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no, I don't mind sharing at all. And honestly, this, I can remember the exact moment. It was that crazy. I never have those light bulb moments, but this was definitely one. Um, My daughter was really medically sick. We were, we, she had a lot of hospitalizations in that first year. Um, And we were sitting in the hospital, I think after her like third or fourth admission um, and her test results came back. She had tested positive for like, I don't even know how many viruses came back positive. Like she had a lot of respiratory stuff. And my mother-in-law was sitting there and I just like broke down. I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like I, I need something. <laughs> I yeah. need help, whether it's medicine, counseling, something like I just, I just kind of completely broke down from that. Yeah. Um, and then after that, I started to hear through the healing process a little bit better. So mm-hmm. honestly, yeah. finally acknowledging it for me was what was like, okay, like I can't, I can't do this anymore. Like and I'm very was it helpful when you finally gave yourself permission to go, I, I need help and this isn't okay? Oh, yeah, 100%. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was like a big weight taking off. I'm very much the kind of person where, like, I'll do it. I don't need help. And 
So uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> yeah, me that too. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know anything about that. Right. <laughs> yeah. Big eye opener there. So um, I think people are afraid to admit something's wrong and I need help because they think things are going to come crashing down at that moment. Yeah. When in fact, what you're describing is it lifted a little bit for me. It mm-hmm. it gave it actually was very helpful. It kind of let me gave me just a little bit of breathing space, and then I was able to go get help. So yeah. I'm so glad you told that part of your story. Yeah, I think it's important. I want moms to know like they're they're not alone. Like this is a very thing that's unfortunately common, and that there are ways to cope for it before it gets bad. Before you like don't wait like, as long as I did. <laughs> I think we were like eight months in before I yeah. like took that breath. So yep. um, it's a classic story. Mm-hmm. It's a yeah. very classic story. I'm, I'm not surprised at all. So I'm curious about the other part of your story that you mentioned, because I mean, I know I've had several, several clients I've worked with, um, as someone who specializes in intimacy and sex that have struggled with endometriosis and, um, uh, we are aware that this is kind of your jam. And so <laughs> I would love for you um, to share um, about this work. Um, how do you, you know, give us, get, for people who don't know, because we want to educate those who don't know too, because I think part of what's wounding about having any diagnosis, but specifically endometriosis, is feel, feeling very alone and misunderstood. So let's educate the general public. And then tell us how you engage um, as an OT and then maybe speak for your PT buddies. Like how, how can you help with this journey and challenge? Let's, let's kind of like run the gamut here. Yeah, sure. Um, so a big thing with endo is like, I'm sure y'all have seen, it takes forever for someone to get diagnosed with it. Um, so many times the painful periods, the pain with sex get tossed around like, oh, that's normal. That's fine. You just have to deal with it. I know. Big red flag for the listeners. Mm-hmm. Yeah, big red flag. Um, so a lot of times, I think the average they've done research lately is like seven to 10 years for someone to get diagnosed with endometriosis. Mm. Wow. I mean, it's, it's terrible. And I want to yeah. say probably most of these women have been suffering since probably they started their period, you know, since puberty. Um, and so it's, it's crazy. Um, I feel like the awareness is getting better and people are starting to realize, Hey, I don't have to live like this or I can't live like this because the pain can just be unbearable. Um, I'm trying to remember the pieces of your question, but how I go about treating it and it really kind of depends, but let's say I'm the, this is like the first time someone's ever been to therapy for, for their endo or whatever. I mean, I start everyone off with the breathing, but um, especially for someone in chronic pain, their nervous yep. system is already so upregulated. So, I mean, mm-hmm. we have to learn to calm down everything and that comes down to the breath. Um, and that's going to help relax the pelvic floor and everything. But I mean, it's so much more than just like a reproductive pelvic floor d- disease. I mean, the, mm. Fatigue that comes with it feels it's not autoimmune, but it like it has that fatigue factor and like brain fog um, and things like yeah, that. Yeah, so tell us tell us about endometriosis because some people may not okay. be following you. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Tell us what it is and how it how it shows up and and some of that. Okay, perfect. So, um, what it is, it's tissue similar to the lining of the uterus. They found it's not the same. So it's similar to the lining of the endometrium, endometrium, but it's found outside of the uterus. 
So basically all can impact anywhere, really anywhere in the body, but a lot of the times it kind of feeds itself within that abdominal cavity. Um, and it forms basically kind of implants or like scars. If you think of spider webs, like our connective wow. tissue, it kind of attaches mm-hmm. itself to our inner organs. Um, so it can, um, create and over time especially it can create it can get just get worse unfortunately there's no cure for it at this time but there are ways to help treat it to manage the pain um so i mean it can lead to painful periods i think is usually like a number one kind of like sign um Mm -hmm. but i mean the pain can their pelvic pain can be in between periods a lot of times around that ovulation time or even like just in a regular time in your cycle, it can be very debilitating. Um, it can cause a lot of bladder and bowel dysfunction. Um, like mm. just with mine story, mine was literally wrapped around and it was almost kinking my bowels. And that's oh, why I was wow. having pain with bowel movements and those kind mm-hmm. of things. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, I have, I know some people, it's more common than people think, but they have it in their thoracic cavity. Like it goes up to their diaphragm. And so that's going impact to your, impact your breathing. Um, yep. so I mean, it, it can, it can be crazy. It can be a really, really debilitating thing. But, um, so yeah, the common, a lot of common symptoms, the pain with sex, pain with periods, pain or dysfunction with like going to the bathroom. Um, and then, like I mentioned, some of the lesser known ones I think are fatigue and brain fog. I mean, definitely come with it because you're, you're so tired of fighting the pain and your body's working so hard to kind mm-hmm. of fight against itself almost. So, um, yeah, you're kind it, of living I mean, in a crisis mode physiologically, and so yeah. you have you have some of those symptoms of uh, uh, crisis over way too long of a time. I mean, our bodies are made to experience mm-hmm. a crisis and recover, but when it's prolonged exposure, mm-hmm. you do start to suffer. Um, technically, just like uh, tra- trauma. So mm-hmm. the, the diagnosis itself, the experience of the health challenge itself becomes traumatic over time when it's this prolonged crisis. Yeah. Um, not to mention any of, there are kind of moments in the endometriosis journey that can be a trauma all by themselves. If it just absolutely takes you out one day, yeah. if you have, you know, a, a traumatic period, I've had clients kind of describe that the medical treatments can, can be traumatic for some people. And so there's all these like little spikes amongst just this prolonged stress on the body, which I totally understand some of those mental health symptoms at that point. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, it goes with it with any chronic pain condition, there's going to have, there's going to be that mental health aspect of it. Cause it's kind of like, especially if you get engulfed in it, it's all you think about and it just wears on you. Um, yeah. but yeah. Um, so, um, so I do a lot of a breath work with them and just trying to relax their nervous system in general. But I found too that, I mean, I'm such a believer in therapeutic touch, any type of manual work, whether it's gentle or a little bit more aggressive is so comforting mm-hmm. and allowing the tissues to just relax. And I by no means can like fix those implants or anything like that, but providing some increased blood flow and just moving around those painful areas can, can really be helpful. Um, and okay. no, I was just thinking that's helpful to know. I mean, I, I've worked, I just trust you guys so much. I don't ask a lot of questions. So this is fun for me. Like I'm okay. kind of getting to nerd out with you. Yeah, so I'm right. like, okay, so you're doing kind of this manual work and what that does is help, you know, all this therapeutic touch and, and, and those pieces. So I'm just, I'm, I'm just verbally processing with you. Yeah, no, no, you're good. You're good. Um, and what I found, um, is that a lot of, 
um, these women, they've had to advocate for themselves for years and saying, look, my pain's not normal. Um, and so they come in very well educated. They know their bodies. They know this disease backward and backwards and forwards. And so um, you have to know, like, they know what they're doing. They know their bodies. And so you have to kind of give them that trust because they've been dismissed by so many people. Totally. Um, and so um, if they don't already have a lot of those resources, I give it to them. There's a couple really good books on endo I like to recommend that goes over the nutrition piece of it, the therapy part of it, the excision surgery, things like that. Um, and there's a lot of support groups, especially like Facebook is great for one that has a lot of educational resources for um, these women. So I'm like, hey, if you're not on this, you need to get on this, like follow mm-hmm. this group. And, you know, just so you know, like, hey, you are not alone. And here are all the resources that um, you can look into to help manage it. I mean, there's yeah. different opinions everywhere, of course, but like that not feeling so isolated is, is important too. It's a big piece. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. Can we ask your opinion on surgery? Of course, yes. Please do. (laughs) Give us your take because, you know, there is no cure. Um, I I have heard that basically mostly client versions of making this decision, you know, so I'm hearing their version of what the decision-making process is for them. Um, and, And mostly, you know, our role can really jump in here, um, is to help them learn to use their voice to be able to be a good advocate with their providers. Did you get all your questions answered? So we're working with like the personhood agency piece, um, and coaching that and empowering that. But, um, it seems like it's a messy decision sometimes for these women, at least that's my, from my view. Give us a little bit of insight into what surgery can do, what it can't do, different types what to look for. Cause I think there's something about the types of surgeons you go find. There's like different levels. I don't know. Again, I'm repeating what I've learned a little bit through the client experience. So give us your, give us your rundown. Yeah. So it, it, it can be messy and it can be a difficult decision because I mean, any surgery is not cheap, you know, whether insurance is covering it or not, surgery is expensive. So it is kind of that financial stress as well. Mm-hmm. And so the um, excision surgery where they like kind of go out and like scoop from the root out of the endo essentially is the gold standard for treatment. Now, not that it can't be managed by other ways, but that's kind of like, I look at it as like, if you can do a surgery, that's step one, like to get and just kind of clear out your system and get that out. Um, the ablation piece, it can be helpful for some, but what it's doing is just kind of burning the tissue Mm -hmm. on the uh, like uh, superficially so it's not going down deep into the root so it's more a much higher likely chance for that to reoccur um and sometimes women can come out of that even in more pain um Mm -hmm. personally i had the ablation because like like it's a messy decision that was my option that was my only option at the time i didn't have a good um specialist near me um Mm -hmm. that i could use but i've done better with it than i think a lot of women do um but the, um, the excision piece, it's, it can be a hard recovery, but yeah, they go out from the root and they kind of dig out and get those implants out to have less of a recurrence. Um, yeah. And a lot of people, a lot of physicians will claim like, Hey, we treat endo and they're specialists and they're not always a true specialist. So, um, mm. I refer a lot of either my patients or like if I have people asking from out of state to, 
um, Nancy's Neck on Facebook. She has a list of very heavily vetted surgeons um, that she trusts and that have been great patient success stories and things like that. Um, and then I, you know, like there's some in our area that I, I send my people to. Um, and so that's, that's what I tell my patients. Like you were saying, like advocate for yourself, do your homework. Here are some red flags. <laughs> if your provider says this or wants to do this first kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I'm a big proponent of that, but also at the same time, like it, it's, I think some of us get caught up in thinking, oh, this is going to get rid of it. And it, it's still not a cure, but it's the best treatment option. Um, step one though, I mean, you have to still go through, like, look at your nutrition triggers. Definitely the counseling mental health side of it is huge mm -hmm. for prepping yeah. for surgery and recovery. Um, pelvic floor therapy, you have to, it, it's so multi, multidisciplinary. Um, yep. to, to catch all those aspects. So, well, you, you've mentioned some stats a couple times now. And um, one of the books that we really like from a sex therapy and coaching perspective is When Sex Hurts. Um, and they, endometriosis is a piece of what they cover. But in their larger painful sex study, you know, um, they, they said that women on average have to see four to seven doctors before they find someone who knows what they're doing. Yeah. And we have the same frustration with some providers that claim to understand sexual pain just generally. And we're like, no, no, you do not. You understand <laughs> sexual organs. You clearly yeah. do not understand sexual pain. There's a very big difference or the process. So, right. um, and I do not have a white jacket, but I get really <laughs> frustrated because <laughs> I'm like, this person's not helping, but they've, you know, they've, they've kind of led someone to believe that they, they know what they're doing. So interesting to know that within kind of that sub focus of endometriosis, you really see that as a, as a pretty big problem too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and yeah, and it's not, it's not their provider's fault. I think it's just lack of training. I mean, I'm sure OBs cover endometriosis maybe in a couple classes, like, you know, maybe now it's better, but I mean, it's such a, least they thought it was such a small percentage of everything and not as well known so it's not it's not their fault but like don't claim to be a specialist if you're not to. <laughs> just a little unfortunate yeah 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 <laughs> for those I, I think with either endometriosis or really I you know I think about the prenatal postnatal process um I, you know I personally it when I talk to friends and that kind of thing I hear a lot of fear once they figure out what pelvic floor physical therapy is, I hear a lot of kind of fear or concern. And then for sure with clients, just that kind of those anxieties and feeling uncertain or scared. Um, what encouragement or advice would you give those that are thinking, you know, either for endometriosis or for um, prenatal, postnatal care, I need to go do some OT or PT for this issue? Well, I don't know. <laughs> you know, this feels really, because it's so, unfortunately, it's such a foreign concept, you know? And yeah. so what encouragement would you give those yeah, folks? And, yeah. And, you know, it, it is, I think it's hard for people because it's such a vulnerable thing. And also there's that so unknown, like they have no clue what's going to happen. Like, are we just going to talk about Kegels? What's going to happen here and everything? Um, <laughs> but encouragement wise, um, 
I like to tell women, especially if I think I'm going to need to do an internal exam on them. Like if I do a consult, I'll say it's very different than like an OB exam or anything like that. I'm looking at your muscles. I'm not checking like through your cervix and things like that. And I'm looking more at that. And so sometimes, and I show them, I usually, I mean, I guess this is more for potential people, people wanting to do therapy, but like I try to educate them on their muscles and what I'm actually doing. And especially for my painful clients, I'm like, look, I don't use a speculum. You know, a lot of those types, they hate those things, which I understand um, and everything like that. And just kind of give them the um, uh, notification for that. Like, Hey, it's not, it's not going to be the same as like your past history with painful checks or anything like that. But also I tell them, you know, if you're, Sorry, my dog's on top of me. Um, <laughs> if you're um, that internal work is not the only way to do it. I mean, I look at we look at posture, we look at your functional movements, we look at breathing. There's so much we can do outside of any internal work, especially with someone with a lot of pain or, or mm. like a lot of my vaginismus patients where they're just not ready. That like we can work so much externally on your whole body mm-hmm. um, versus doing any internal work. Um, but it, and I think a lot of it is just telling them, like, to, like, give them a heads up on what it is that it's not just going to be, like, Kegels and all manual work internally and all that. Um, yeah. I hope that was helpful. I felt like I rambled for a second. <laughs> yeah, I always helpful. tell my clients when I'm referring that this is a very different – I mean, there still can be, a, you know, a pelvic exam and all of that, but it's just such a different experience than – what they think of as their annual female exam. Right. Um, which is, I mean, that's about the only thing that most of us have to file that, you know, category of thinking in until you've been, I have done actually my mentor in sex therapy basically said, I don't know if you can pull it off because you know, there's finances and reasons you should go and reasons you shouldn't go. But she's like, I think everybody who wants to work in sex therapy should go get a public exam mm-hmm. from a PT, a public yeah. course specialist and like really yeah. understand what this is going to be like. And, Um, And I actually um, have had three different types of pelvic pain that I've walked through over the course of my married life. Um, And so I did uh, do pelvic floor therapy. I was like, oh, well, I have reasons to go. I will go do this. (laughs) Um, And it was so eye-opening, you know, uh, even just the ambiance of the office feels so different than your classic kind of sterile. And I'm not mm-hmm. knocking doctors, but like, yeah, there just, were no, yeah. I don't know about you, you know, Lisa, but like there were no stirrups, there were no speculums. It was, um, it was actually very slow and like, uh, there was a lot of explanation and education and there was no forcing of anything. And it just was the bedside manner. You guys are the best in my opinion. I'm sure there's a terrible one of y'all out there somewhere. I just happen to know all the really good ones is what I like to think. But y'all's bedside manner is amazing. Like it's just such a different experience. And, and it's so important that women and men know that because they're afraid they're, they're walking into their annual exam. Right. Yeah. And that's a great point. I mean, if you, if you all have seen our offices, we make them really cute, really comfortable and inviting. It's a party at the Genesis office. Yeah, we do have y'all. It's so cute. It's so cute. If anybody follows us, we like to have fun and we do that with our patients. You know, we're serious and professional, of course, but like we, we make it fun too. something that you would think would not be fun, but we have fun with it. (laughs) You know, you got to be able to sometimes laugh about things and 
share your experiences, um, especially like being a mom, it's just like, you can relate to them. So it's, it's great to be able, yeah, to kind of lower that hesitation and that nervousness of like, I've never done this before. What are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah. Um, I have a question, a follow-up question from something you said earlier, and I, I feel like this is good as time as any. Um, you said that people don't know about pelvic floor until something's wrong. And it made me start to think, because part of what you and I do, Kimberly, is um, we try to get on the front end of things from the mental health side. So we actually try to like teach parents how to talk to their kids about sex, even though we don't work with children specifically. Like we work, uh, we always say we work with kids that grew up. I mean, so like we're thinking <laughs> through a developmental lens and we're, you know, um, holding space for that. And so I, I, when you said that, I thought, yes, because we, and that's a little bit Western medicine, right? More reactive mm -hmm. versus proactive. Mm -hmm. So I am curious if you were going to like, you know, write your wish list. What would be our proactive approach to pelvic floor health? And I'm going to invite you to go like as early as you want developmentally. Like what should we be doing in the world right. to be better about this? Yeah. yeah. I've actually had this conversation with a few people. Um, I know there's a lot of controversy with sex ed in the schools and things like that. But honestly, yeah. if we teach people like kids how to breathe properly um, yeah. how to use the toilet properly, it may save them a lot of troubles <laughs> down the road. Um, I mean, cause I, even like all our things that our parents taught, taught us and they meant no ill out of it. They just didn't know like, yep. um, Oh, if you can't poop, if you're constipated, try to push it out or whatever, you know, and things like that, like all those little things just stick with you. And it's like uh -huh. so in tune and it's like that you don't know the damage you're causing, you know? Yep. Um, so like, I, I mean, I've got a squatty potty in every room in my house. My daughter will never so do know. We. Yeah. Yeah. So do we. There are stool steps or squatty potties in every Yes. yes. So like my squatty potties. <laughs> yeah. So our kids will never know another way to poop except with their, <laughs> their knees elevated. And like, I want them to, I want her to learn those good habits, um, and everything like that. I mean, I even work with her on like trying to breathe just instead of like straining and holding her breath, you know, those little things so that she'll grow up knowing that and maybe preserve her pelvic floor. I'm like more, my poor pelvic floor was. So, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think potty training age is a great, great way mm -hmm. to just go over the things, the, the breathing and the proper way to use the bathroom. <laughs> okay. Um, I'll throw another one at you. Go for it. What about, what about puberty for girls? I feel like there's a lot of pelvic oh, floor yeah. information oh, yeah. that we're missing there. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. First, please tell girls that painful periods are not normal. That's like my first thing. <laughs> Stop yes. telling them that just because your mom suffered with it doesn't mean you should. Um, mm. so yeah, definitely. That's a huge piece. Yeah. Just letting them know that they're, and really just like hygiene and options for that too. I mean, like so many I know, girls. I, I did not have all the options. Yeah. 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 Like, not like the standard two tampon or pad. Right, right. And that I felt like, at least growing up, that's the only ones I was aware of, too. But, like, now there's other options for it. Like, I, I'm a big fan of the disc right now. Me, too. Um, but I like the disc and the cups. Yeah, and the cups and everything. And, you know, for me, like, I 
I had painful periods. So like, I hated tampons. I hated them too. Cause I could, they, they were hurtful. They were painful. And it was just kind of like, Oh, you just got to do it. I was a swimmer. So I had no choice. Mm. <laughs> and so I just put up with it and I just, my body just adjusted to being used to that pain thinking it was normal. Like yeah. no girl, no girl should have to go Mm-mm. through that. Um, when I'm thinking about like, even if you had all the options, and part of what I, because of the age of, you know, my children, I have, um, my eldest is probably going to, is starting to go through some of those, those things. And so we're talking about, you actually have a lot of options mm-hmm. and we talk about our feelings about those options and things like that. But like, I review as many books as I can handle reviewing. It feels like I have like a to-do list. It's my long, <laughs> but I do not see any of those books when they're talking about even the ones that try to give like their kind of best effort to talk about like insertion and some of the hygiene stuff. But I'm like, there is a pelvic floor dynamic. None of them are covering this. Like nobody is talking about the body parts at play here. And I'm like, I mean, Lisa, you should write a book. I think you have have a calling on your life. (laughs) (laughs) I think all the Genesis team, we should get together and write a book. Yeah. Like a puberty book about pelvic floor and like insertion and all of that. Like, can you imagine how many little girls lives you would save from so much pain? I know. Yeah. Like just simply learning how to relax their pelvic floor because most of us don't, most of us clench everything Mm -mm. we've got. So, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's a huge piece of it for sure. Um, yeah, I just remember, like, my mom saying, oh, my periods were bad, too. Like, it's okay. Just take a warm bath and manage it. And just never thought, okay, this is how my rest of my life's going to be, you know? So, it's mm-hmm. just, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yep. Yep. I felt like I had something else to say about the puberty thing, but it's it's out of my mind. Maybe I'll come back to it. If it comes back, please interrupt. <laughs> what about when we move up? you know, uh, young adulthood, as we kind of get into that, what would you want women and men to do proactively, you know, for their pelvic health? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, I think we covered it. I think it's plausible for every age. I have people question me like, do I really need a squatty potty? Like, isn't that just a fad? And I'm like, no, you need it. (laughs) Um, so just going over, I mean, those basics, but also, um, like letting people know, like, with sex is not normal or like if you're having burning and stinging or anything like that deeper in like that's not normal and the more you try to do it the worse your pelvic floor is going to react because those muscles are so reactive and they're protective so like if you're not addressing that it can just get worse until you're like kind of end up with vaginismus essentially you know um Sorry, you're throwing me through a loop for these questions. I'm trying to think of anything I didn't cover. No, it's good. <laughs> this is brilliant. I, I think people are going to be really thankful to hear all of this. I love that you called those muscles protective. We talk mm-hmm. about that a lot yeah. in our offices, that those muscles are meant to react quickly to help you protect mm-hmm. yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. They are designed that way. Right. And so, um, of course we're unpacking the mental health side, but there's so many physiological pieces too. So yeah. oh, thank you for saying that. Of course. Of course. That's, that's how I explain it to my patients, especially my vaginismus faces. I'm like, look, these, you're not doing it on purpose. It's very involuntary. They're there to pr- protect and react to, to what's going on. So you just have to learn to get past that. And I mean, there's a huge mental side to that as well as physical. The two are connected. You can't, you can't do it one without the other. So, Lisa, you've talked throughout our conversation about lots of myths and misconceptions, but um, I'm curious 
What's one of the biggest, maybe there's several, you don't have to choose if it feels like too much, but a big misconception or myth about pelvic floor therapy that you come across or you hear a lot. Oh, with pelvic floor therapy specifically, um, that I think I've talked about, but like that it's just Kegels. Like I just need to do my Kegels and that'll fix all my pelvic floor problems. Um, huge thing with urinary incontinence just, and even like providers will tell them, oh, you're leaking just do your Kegels. And more than that, it's going to make things worse, especially because we don't know how to do them properly. And when we're not doing them functionally and adding them in with our core, there's no point to it. It can make things worse. So I think that's probably the biggest thing. Like, oh, I don't need that. I just need to do my Kegels and I'll be fine. And then when that doesn't work, they're like, oh, okay, now what do I do? <laughs> like, I'm not going to wear a pad or um, the rest of my life or anything. So that's probably a big one. I think that's huge about the Kegels. I mean, I, I know that from sex therapy training, but also from just being able to spend so much time with the Genesis crew that y'all, that is it. Y'all, if you want to follow them and you want to know what the soapbox is, Kegels will come up at some point, at least about once a week. It'll be this like y'all with the Kegels already. Kegels and breathing. breathing. (laughs) We're going to talk about both those things a lot. Yep. So that's that's our job pretty much. (laughs) That's huge. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, this is a concern. Obviously I hear, folks express in my office. Um, I'm sure Jenna can attest to this, but then also I've got friends that have spoken to it as well, but um, prolapse issues and, and just misconceptions and myths about that fears. I think I hear a lot of like fearful myths or just the unknown sounds so scary. And I think, I mean, it, it can feel like a scary word, you know, that prolapse word, like something's going to fall out. I'm going to explode. It's just, it feels so fearful. So I'd love to, to hear your thoughts on um, just how common that is, how pelvic floor therapy and OT can help with that. So yeah. Yeah, definitely. And you know, part of that fear, I think I'm not a big fan of Dr. Google and when people, when any of us, we're all guilty of it. I think we have these symptoms and we're like, what is this? And the worst of the worst comes up. Sure. Um, so I don't think that helps. I think that it helps instill some more fear actually. Um, but what I, what I tell my, it's very common. Okay. To answer that question, it's, I, I don't know exact percentages. I'll have to get up on my statistics on that, but it's very common. Um, and not just for women who are pregnant and have babies. I would say that's where we relate it to a lot. But I mean, if you've had chronic constipation issues or did a whole lot of like Valsava maneuvers with a lot of heavy weightlifting and things like that, that's so much pressure to the pelvic floor and if you weren't fully taught correctly certain strategies, you can even get it from, from those instances. Um, so it's very common, um, but I would say a lot of, I think women figure it out once they once they have babies or during um, afterwards. Um, but it's totally manageable. I mean, kind of like endo, we can't really cure it. Um, I mean, I think there's a small percentage of women where the grade can maybe improve a little bit, but most of the time it's more about managing symptoms. Um, but yeah, you get these women who are like, oh, they, cause they hear from someone else, a friend or a provider, like, oh, I can't wait, li- lift weights anymore. I can't do X, Y, and Z anymore. And it's like, okay, that's not, that's not true. You, we just have to modify and build you up to it. You just need some guidance to get back to that point. Um, and a lot of times too, I like, if, if my patients are like, well, I have prolapse and I'm like, okay, do you understand what that is? They're like, no. <laughs> 
<laughs> so like all they know is they think their organs are like actually falling out. And I'm like, not quite. Let's back it up. And my, that's when I get my little pelvic model out and their little organs and kind of walk them through that. Um, but no, it really, it, it seems like, and the same thing with diastasis, pe- women get very scared and concerned and think they're going to be restricted with everything and that they just won't be able to do the same things that they love to do. And, and that's not true. Really just getting some education and saying, look, here's what's going on. Here's where, how we're going to work to improve that. They're like, oh, okay. Like this is totally manageable. Um, of course with a lot of pelvic floor things, it doesn't happen overnight, but it's just a process. And that's why we exist (laughs) to walk you through it and to get that specialty guidance. I love what you just said. Like with many things with pelvic floor, it doesn't happen (laughs) overnight. We would say Mm -hmm. the same thing in mental health. I, I have so many people come in and really wrestle with why is this taking so long? Um, and the first thing that most of them do is shame spiral. It was something about me is broken and that's why it's not working. And then if that doesn't work, then they'll, attack me well there's something about you it's not working and maybe I'm not the right therapist for them like I will you know okay um uh but I we are battling with this mentality and I think and again I am actually not real square in either camp in case some of the listeners want to like start to assume um I do think it is a little bit indicative of the western medicine model though that there's this very linear formula and it comes with like a really specific timeline mm-hmm. um, yes. because that's how a lot of prescriptions in that world work if you go yes and so even if you go to the psychiatrist and they're estimating you will see these meds kick in in about four to six weeks you know or two to two to four weeks or whatever it is and so there's all these like timelines that everybody's looking for even when my husband you know we talk about physical therapy um, even when he has had some of his injuries physically, they're like, yeah, we're going to do this at 12 weeks and we're going to do this at three weeks. And as long as you do your, your assignments and homework and rare, you know, there'd be rare occasions when you wouldn't meet these marks. And then when we can't do that in our world, there's understandably very big feelings. And so I, I just love that you put that out into the space. Cause I think that is probably one of the big misconceptions about both of our worlds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh Yeah huge. And especially a lot of my um, chronic pain patients, like they, they struggle with that. They're like, I have weeks where I'm doing great. I think I'm getting better. And then I have an off week and it's very frustrating because you're like on this up and up and then everything comes back. And especially with chronic stuff, like flares happen, you know, life, life doesn't just stop. Stress happens. You go traveling and off of routine. I mean, your diet may change. All those impact that. Um, so yeah, it can definitely, it's not always linear. I talk about that a lot on my Instagram. It's not always a linear path. Sometimes we have flares and sometimes we have a little bit of regression, but my job, especially for like my endo patients is like, I need to give you the tools that you know how to manage when those happens and get out of it and start progressing forward again. Um, I'm sure same thing in mental health. (laughs) Yeah. It's very similar. It is. It is. It's hard. It's, it's, mm. it's very hard. Yeah. It's um, hard and it can be very discouraging for patients for sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, we just have to battle. I think that both of us do in our work, right. Is, is working with um, the whole human that is sitting mm-hmm. across from us saying it doesn't just hurt physically. I'm emotionally in a battle mm-hmm. for my sanity, for my life, for my happiness. And, um, and I'm hurting. And so, yes. 
uh, we're, we're speaking to their soul just as much as we are, we are working with their bodies and their mechanics and things like that. So, ah, this is why we love you guys. So I have kind of a fun question to wrap up with. Okay. What's your favorite part about being on the Genesis team? Because it is a total party, at least as far as we can tell on Instagram (laughs) and TikTok. (laughs) It is. I, I love my coworkers. They're just like the best group of girls. We have a lot of fun together. We're, uh, I mean, we can bounce ideas off of us. Like if we have a question about like a treatment or something, we bounce ideas off of each other. It's just so casual and open. And I mean, we just will talk about anything and we have so much fun when we're together. So I just, I love, I, I love working where I am. I don't think I'll ever leave. <laughs> a great group and and my and outside of like the genesis team this job is just can be so rewarding i love celebrating those little wins and the big wins with my patients um even if it's just like oh hey i only peed my pants once this week it's like yes take that I was able to sneeze without needing to change my britches. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, and and so I I I kind of joke like I have to be a cheerleader sometimes too because they're like, oh, I'm still peeing my pants. I'm like, yeah, but you did it once, not ten times the whole week. Like progress. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very rewarding. That's but, awesome. Yeah. yeah, y'all have so much fun. So much fun that we decided. That we wanted to get a, you know, be a part of the action. So, um, arable audience, this kind of gets to be some of the first folks to hear that Lisa's actually going to be a roommate with us because we have yeah. a little collab going on with Genesis PT and Wellness. We'll be rolling out lots of announcements about partnering over at their Fort Worth location, and then Lisa's mm-hmm. going to be roommates, and so we get to in like, the Aspen House Richardson office. So we're so excited. She's going to be right down the hall. Um, hopefully, we'll be just as much fun. We still we need to glean from your TikTok skills, so we we, we might be coming. I need tick. I have not gotten on TikTok. <laughs> I. I only done TikToks for certain like songs or things. Like I don't post them on TikTok. I mainly use Instagram and I don't know. I'm, I'm learning too. Becky's the pro on that. I think. <laughs> yes. Just yes, kind of got to do it and be prepared to feel stupid. <laughs> That's what she said. She said, if you're just willing to be ridiculous, it works out great. <laughs> That's essentially yeah. what she told me. I was like, I'm going to yeah. need, as we get to ready to collaborate, y'all are going to have to bring the TikTok skills over to Ashley House <laughs> and teach us how to do the things. Cause like we're, we're very fun, but that's not the type of fun we have like, you know, grown over the, the last year. So. Right. <laughs> okay. We'll practice. It's, it's part practice. of the agreement. <laughs> it is. Perfect. It is. Day one, we'll make a real, we'll get it down. <laughs> that's awesome. Lisa, we are so excited about this future collaboration and having you in house, um, at Aspen house representing Genesis and, um, I, we just can't wait. And like, I know um, it has been years coming for Kimberly and I, we have always said we want multidisciplines in house with us. Cause we to something that you answered um, uh, through some, at some point in this interview, like it is a multidisciplinary team effort to work with the things that we specialize in. And so if we can create a little bit of convenience 
by being down the hall from each other. That's beautiful. If we can help people break the ice by like, no, she's like right there and like, they're great. And like, I know them and like, we'll see each other in the hall. It just does so much for people to take that next step. And so we are like over the moon about this decision and cannot wait, cannot wait. I can't wait either. I can't come fast enough. Yeah. I think, I think it'll be great. I'm so excited. (laughs) Well, we end this show the same way. Every time we have two questions for you. Okay. Lisa, we close the show the same way. Every time we have two questions for you. Uh, What would you like the audience to take away from our conversation? And what would you like to leave them with? Um, I want people to know, like, they don't have to suffer. You do not have to live with pain or anything that you feel is not your normal. Um, I want you to find a provider who will listen to you. And if they don't, find a new one. (laughs) Like, you are not stuck with who you pick the first time around. Um, There's so many great providers, like Genesis, like Aspen House, that want to help you and are very passionate about what they do. Um, so that's my biggest takeaway. And what was your second question? <laughs> no, you did all of it. Kimberly, oh, I did all of it. Cool. Question. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Final question for you. What's your takeaway from our conversation today? Oh, this was just so fun. I, I love getting to talk to y'all, especially as mental health practitioners and seeing y'all side of what you see with your patients and how like the two just come together to, to collaborate, to help, to help these women. I think it's awesome. So I love, like I said, like with our roots in OT being in mental health and my psychology background and things like that. I just, it's fascinating. I love what y'all do and I try to refer people to y'all all the time and I will continue oh, to do so. We so. appreciate that. <laughs> I, I actually, I learned that today from you. I did not know. I did not know your roots were in psychology and mental health. So I'm like, oh, yeah, you're just so such cool. a perfect fit to be it's our perfect. in-house reading. <laughs> Lisa, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and your brilliance. We are so excited. Thank you so much. Thank you, ladies. goodness I'm so excited it's like so fun I mean just this is totally a side of our normal like rhythm on this but like y'all every time we get to interact with our new roommate we are so excited she is a delight (laughs) I cannot wait for our team to serve with the Genesis team which is why we're doing this whole series plus it's information that we all need to know Lisa was amazing absolutely amazing such a wonderful sweet personality and just kind and smart Mm, and um yeah I just mm, I like her a lot okay what was your takeaway that was such fun conversation oh I had so many um every time I talk to our genesis friends I have I take away something and so um one of mine was um the roots of OT being in psychology and just, mm-hmm. um, that was pretty cool. Um, just as a, like, oh, little known fact for me. Um, yep. and then just, um, the holistic way and the nuance way the body works and all of the, gosh, all of the things that pelvic floor therapy and OT can treat. It just, and we just covered mm-hmm. uh, maybe three to five 
topics and there was so much more. Um, and then just her passion about all of that. It's just so palpable and it is for the whole Uh Genesis team. Like she loves her work. She believes in it. Um, so yeah, so many takeaways, but just, yeah, Mm -hmm. the, the complexity, but just the hope too. That, that this work gives. So it doesn't have to be that way. There's so much hope. So mm-hmm. what were your takeaways? Um, actually, I mean, I hate to be like copy paste, but uh, really some of the same. I, I was shocked by like the psychology and mental health roots for OT. I had no idea. Yeah. Um, I'll do a throwback takeaway, if you will. I did <laughs> not know until we were talking with the owner of Genesis, Becky, that like OTs did this work. So she, I love how she told her story about you yeah. know, finding Becky. Becky's like, y'all do this because I felt the same way when Becky told me, I was like, they do that. that that's a thing. OTs do pelvic floor work. Um, so I think that's really amazing to know. Um, that's kind of my, so I did, it wasn't new today, but that's my throwback uh, takeaway. I just loved listening to her. Like you said, um, you stole mine. Uh, just think holistically about um, what these people are experiencing. And, mm-hmm. you know, she's not just thinking about, you know, where someone points and says that it hurts. She's thinking about your upregulated nervous system and the way that you breathe and where, like, how chronic pain impacts mental health over time. And that, you know, I just, I seriously appreciate any provider that thinks like that because it's not that everything that you conceptually understand is at play is within your scope of practice, but it makes you a killer teammate to work with on these multidisciplinary teams. And so... Again, I just always, I don't know if it'll ever get old for me to sit back and appreciate that from any type of clinician who goes, well, when you think about the whole human, these are all the things you have to take into consideration. And this is my part mm-hmm. of impacting that life for good, you know, for the better. So I just genuinely enjoyed hearing from her. Yeah, me too. Lisa, our new roomie. Thank you for joining us. Arable Podcast is hosted by Jenna Mountain and Kimberly Galindo. And edited and co-produced by Chris Vargas and hosted on Podbean. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Visit our website, arablepodcast.com, and find Arable Podcasts on Instagram or Facebook. You can also find both of us on Facebook. You can find me, Kimberly Galindo, on Instagram at the Kimberly Galindo. And me, Jenna Mountain, on Instagram at the Jenna Mountain. 